In this episode, we'll explore how tensegrity medicine can complement traditional therapeutic practices enriching the work of mental health therapists. We'll discover the principles behind this approach, its transformative effects on clients' mental and emotional well-being, and how it's integrated with internal family systems, or IFS. Get ready for an amazing episode that brings to you a modality that helps bridge the gap between the physical and emotional realms of healing on this episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Today, we're diving into an exciting and transformative topic, body-mind medicine, the 10 medicine approach, and its incredible potential for mental health therapists. As therapists, we know that the mind and body are deeply interconnected, and addressing both is crucial for comprehensive healing. Today, we're joined by an esteemed guest who's been pioneering a groundbreaking approach to this mind-body connection, Kelly Clancy. Kelly's been practicing in the field of rehabilitative medicine for over 36 years. Her focus is not only on the physical issues, but also the relationship of stress, cognitive belief patterns, and emotions, and the relationship with the physical body. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm so glad you could make it. How did you become more interested in a holistic approach to healing? Well, I started out as an occupational therapist is my background, and I got into the area of treating chronic pain symptoms, specifically related to upper extremity. And what I found was that there was a fairly large subset of individuals who weren't getting better with traditional medicine. And so I kind of went back to my textbooks trying to figure out what am I missing here? I'm not seeming to find the answers to a lot of the symptoms that I were seeing that seemed to be multi-system in origin. And that led me kind of down these rabbit holes of multidisciplinary study where I got really fascinated with the concepts of how the mind and emotions and cognitive belief patterns are affecting the physiology of the body. And so that led me into further training related to the connective tissue and the nervous system and ideas around interoception and really brought me into the understanding that we could really shift the physiology by inquiring around belief systems and emotions. So I ended up kind of combining the modalities of working on the body and then using dialoguing during sessions, as well as movement integration to be able to help individuals. So I know we met at the retreat, yoga retreat we went to um, back in April, and, and you told me about how you start to have these discussions. And so what, what does that dialogue sound like? What is that like? Well, a lot of it has to do with, I, I start my treatments, which I call tensegrity medicine, with an assessment of the physical body to determine where there are restriction patterns that are have been formed as a adaptation in the physical structure. I'm really examining the individual from a non-pathologizing lens. I believe that our bodies adapt and our psyches adapt as a way to help with system overwhelm. 
And so being able to notice where restrictions are in the body is kind of the first thing that I do. And then I do light touch techniques with that restriction. And at the same time, I'm just asking really open-ended curiosity questions that are based on uh, sensation and or the lack of sensation and really looking for like protective patterns. Like why, why would the body need to hold here? Why would it need to protect? And what is the story behind that? Or what is the blocked emotion that could be contributing to that restriction? I, ch- I tend to be very, very conservative in that I really believe that our protective mechanisms are important. So I don't try to take away anybody's tension or try to take away pain. I believe pain can be a very good friend for us. It can be a really good ally in helping us understand why we do what we do. So as I'm asking questions, it's really trying to steer the course of the dialogue around compassion and how can, how can we look at these mechanisms as a way that the system has been very intelligent not that there's something wrong or dysfunctional or something that needs to be gotten rid of. I appreciate that. I'm hearing more and more, even in the mental health field, about moving away from pathologizing and, you know, that this is a nervous system response. A lot of times when we have trauma, what have you noticed with the relationship of trauma to chronic pain issues? Uh, Chronic pain issues, uh, again, I believe are based on adaptations. And so when the, the body-mind, is the way I refer to it, needs to change or shift or create rigidity or create protection around a particular system, what it'll do is it'll, it'll create formations of rigidity and or tension. And when the chronicity of that over time exists, then there starts to be multiple systems that can come into play. So for instance, let's say somebody has had a car accident or somebody's suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, that uh, we go in very carefully to try to determine why that protective system was necessary. What is the root origin of that? Like, when did it have to become that way? When, when was the primary incarnation of that compensation? And again, kind of befriending that pattern and then helping update the system through relational attunement in the sessions that there is safety present and Is there now choices that can be different that can help promote kind of an upgrade in the system or an update in the system? And if so, how would that feel? What would it look like in movement? What would it look like in relational connection with a safe, supportive therapist? And then how could it then be translated into a behavior change and habitual patterns that can be supportive? So I'm very interested in helping clients get to the place where there's a lot of self-agency and self-agency that's based in compassion. So they don't feel like they need to keep coming to me or to other practitioners to to be able to feel good, but that they actually are developing some skills around self-care. So what are some of those skills that you talk about? You know, I think it has a lot to do with awareness and creating a space around witnessing, you know, what what are the reasons why I may do a particular pattern and you know, what are what's behind that? You know, is it a, is it a habitual thing that's based on just repetition or is it something that's self-soothing that is necessary for my current life circumstance or is it an outdated pattern that is no longer necessary and that I can choose to do something different. So 
you know, it's really everything. As far as me, as my background as an occupational therapist, we're very interested in function and we're interested in helping people kind of lead the, lead the most fulfilling life that they can. And so looking at the barriers that might get in the way of that. So breaking it down and looking at what are the habitual patterns and why are they there in the first place? And then helping people kind of figure out new choices, basically. So I know you talked about protective part, and I know you mentioned IFS when we met, which I was very fascinated to how this is integrated with IFS. And I'm still in the learning phases of, of uh, there's so much with that model. So can you talk more about how IFS is integrated with this model? I definitely have felt that IFS fits very, very seamlessly into the model that of tensegrity medicine in that it's the non-pathologizing understanding of our multiplicity, understanding that we... An internal family system. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, thank I realized you. I didn't say what it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That we're made of parts, just like our physical body's made of parts, our psyche is made of parts. And that when we are looking at the totality of the system, the body-mind system, and not just treating an isolated part as a dysfunction or a pathology or something you've gotten rid of or to change, that instead we can look at the dynamics of the whole structure physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually to understand the forces that help create balance in the system. And so when is there part of us that is become hypervigilant or hypo has gotten into a freeze mode? And how is that being reflected in the physical body? And then based on that, how can we come in at different ways through through movement, through creativity, through hands-on work, through relational attunement, through you know homework assignments that involve more mind body that ends up helping people really be able to get a sense that you know they can take care of themselves in a different way than they have in the past. Yeah, because I know you mentioned on your website too about unleashing burdens. So is, does I guess the tensegrity does that help with that? Yeah. So tensegrity, maybe I should just define the term. Yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah. So I call my methodology tensegrity medicine, and it, tensegrity is a structural term that is based on looking at systems that have isolated components within them but they're under compression. And inside of that, there's this continuous tension. So if we think about it in relation to the physical body, we can think about how we are actually kind of floating compression. We're we're pre-stressed. We have a certain amount of tone in our body and that our bones actually don't even touch each other, but they're suspended by being pulled apart by the connective tissue. It's the same with our psyches that when we have this three-dimensional or omnidimensional balance in our system, it allows us to move in all directions effortlessly and to be upright in gravity. And same with our psyche. So if we have a balance and moderation in all parts of us, then and they're unburdened, meaning that one is not overriding other parts, then we have a lot more homeostasis for us to be able to go out and do the things that we want to do, and including our creative expression and our full freedom of motion. So 
when a system has a part that becomes out of balance tensegrally, that there's too much tension or there's too much pulling apart, it'll show up in the physiology as like a nerve compression or a disc herniation or an arthritic condition. But in the psyche, it'll do the same. You'll have a part that will become so burdened with belief systems or core formations of, you know, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm not safe. And that will start to change the dynamics of the whole body mind where compensations will form around that and then habits and behaviors end up following. So sometimes when there's burdens, what the body will do and what the mind will do is it'll create strategies to help compensate for that belief system or that burden. And those compensations actually can show up in the physiology and it can also show up in the psyche. So we don't want to take away things prematurely. So like if somebody comes in and they maybe have a habit of smoking or overeating or not exercising. It's more about why. Why does the system feel that that's necessary? And in a very non-judgmental way, what's beneath that? What is the belief system beneath that or behind that that is requiring that behavior to continue? And then getting to that core belief system or the burden and helping the client understand that that was a misperception usually based in childhood that had required the system to kind of orbit around it. So it's kind of like this, I think about it a lot, like the solar system. You know, if you have this gravitational pull where a core belief was formed early, then compensations on compensations on compensations will form around that. And then we see that reflected in the physiology or in the behaviors. And so if we try to just take away the the habits or just the physiology, the tension, without getting to that core belief, then it's really just like trying to put a Band-Aid on something without actually getting to why their wound is there in the first place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the reasons too in therapy, we often will ask that question and see what comes up with clients. Like, where do you think this comes from is my favorite question. (laughs) And clients will get thoughtful with that, but I use that with brain spotting too. And I think I told you a little bit about that, Um, using your your eye position too, to connect with trauma or past memories. It's amazing to see what can come up from that. That's right. And it's the same with, you know, sensations. So a lot of times we'll have dialoguing, dialoguing with the body, body parts, getting to know why they do what they do. I also will use, sometimes I'll use some art therapy while I'll bring it into the creative process and use colors. You know, let's not, let's not create an artistic drawing, but let's actually just use, you know, paper and, and markers or crayons to be able to actually see if that sensation or that emotion Ocean, how to color, what would it be? And what, what's the shape that it wants to be? And how does that relate to other things? It, I think, creates this distancing and a witnessing process that is very IFS also, that when there's room and spaciousness around a particular pattern and there's some separation, there is the ability then to be able to have more choice points. And it's the same in the physical body. So when the physical body, the tension is reduced and or shifted in the in the system, then there's kind of this third way that emerges, this emergent property of, oh, here's a new choice that I didn't have before. 
because before it was either black or white. And now, because there's this witnessing presence and some spaciousness, that some new options become available. I really appreciate that because it just makes me think that it's that acceptance piece, isn't it? Accepting them where they are. And you can't just take something away. I know clients want us to come and be like, fix me, take this away. I don't want to feel this, but there's purposeful reason. Like you said, there could, what is underneath that? And it's not just smoking, is it? There's something more. That's right. And really kind of seeing, I can see that as a system too. That makes a lot of sense when you said the constellation almost, and you can't just take something away. It's not, and it's not really helping. So really, is it just the understanding first and then moving on from there to figure out the best way to help them? Yeah. And I think, I think it's more, I tend to think of it more of like an embodied understanding. You know, it's like, really getting to the sensation and the embodiment or the interoception of what that pattern is. It's it's almost more of an energetic than it is a cognitive experience. So when I can really get to know it, you know, that's why I like drawing or I like movement. It's very right-brained and that, that it takes it out of the like thinking your way out of the problem to find the solution and instead allowing the solution to kind of bubble up in the body and bubble up in the creative process or in the movement to be able to then know what the next steps are. I really spend a lot of time helping people befriend their bodies and understand that the body can use emotions and sensations and belief systems in different ways. Either it can like store the unprocessed feelings and those when the bodies address those feelings will come to the surface and then they can be relationally connected and witnessed with the clinician or the physical symptoms can manifest as a way to communicate where the words aren't present it's not a cognitive experience so the body can create symptoms as a way to talk which is a really interesting thing because it kind of has its own language physical symptoms can happen because the body is using a behavior like we were talking about, like overeating or drinking or under or over exercising. And then the symptoms will be present for that. And then also it can just be around a reaction. So it can be a little bit of a cascading effect that if I, for instance, am someone who gets headaches and my body is speaking to me in a language that it's wanting me to know that a course correction is needed. Often, I can also have a secondary reaction to that headache, like get mad at the headache or, you know, want to get rid of it. And so then you almost have like a, in Buddhist philosophy, they talk about a second arrow of now I'm actually reacting to the reaction and that's actually creating more suffering for myself. So that's what I'm always kind of looking at is, is what, what is actually really happening here and how can we open up space of curiosity with a lot of compassion to be able to understand what's happening. Yeah, I think you're right. Cause, and I have a lot of people get anxious about their anxiety. That's right. Right. <laughs> I hear that a lot. And, and it doesn't come down to a lot of times we cause more suffering for ourselves in some ways and not accepting what's happening. And I, and I think you're right with that curiosity for people to start that curiosity with their own embodied sensations and what's going on, because I think people get away from that. Yeah, that's right. That's what I really noticed a lot, Chris, when I started to dive into more of the psychological aspects of physical symptoms, is that how much self-judgment is out there and how universal it seems to be how the critical voices are dictating what's happening in the physical body. I think reinforced through the medical model of 
you know, there's something wrong here. There's something to be gotten rid of. There's ways that we're going to cut into that, take that out, inject that as as a way to get rid of it. And again, it's it's a disempowering disease-based model that really, I think, creates more frustration for people about their physical bodies. So helping people shift into having a good befriending and relationship with their body versus, you know, there's something wrong with my bad arm or my bad back. Yeah. And, and especially hard with chronic pain, because I know people that dissociate too, if the, if it's really bad and they struggle to just be with the sensations. And because I know you mentioned no sensation too, working with that. So is there a different way you have to approach that? I'm really um, careful around any kind of compensation that involves disassociation or disconnection in that I trust that that's very necessary and has been necessary. So we dialogue with the disconnection. We dialogue with the numbness. We dialogue with the, I can't sense that part of my body. And uh, just being what I call the first resistance layer of what's protective here and how is it protective? Because in a tensegral uh, structure, things will become hypoactive or hyperactive. And so when they're hyperactive, they will create a lot of tension and things will move into themselves. And there's becomes the nervous system can become hyper alert and hypervigilant, hypersensitive. And then in a hypo, that always creates a hypo somewhere else when there's a hyper in the system. So where there's a hypo, there's a disconnect there's a numbness, there's a anesthesia somewhere in the system that you can't feel. And both of those are playing off of each other. So when I am examining the physical body and I find a tension point where there's a lot of hyper, I'm always thinking to myself, where's the hypo? And can we come at it from both ends to be able to help create more space so there can be more witnessing and then there can be more choices available for the system? I've never heard that before. So where there's hyper, there's hypo somewhere else. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting that one. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a polarity, you know. So in, in IFS, there's a lot of discussion about polarities and it is reflected also in a tensegral organization that polarities develop because there is a reaction that is adaptive, right? And so the body's naturally just adapting. That's what it does, thank goodness. And adaptation allows us to survive. And when there is not safety present and the body has this chronic state of not feeling safe, then those parts that will become more extreme and more extreme until eventually it's manifest as a physical hyper or a physical hypo and same in the psyche. And so then again, it's not a matter of just taking those things away. It's understanding why they're there in the first place and how intelligent the system is to, to do those things. So whenever there's polarities, it makes me think there has been circumstances, most likely in the past or, or perhaps in the present, that have required the extremes. And so I'm highly respectful of that. Yeah. So one thing I've learned is there are no bad parts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, all, it's interesting. All parts are welcome. That's right. And it, and it does make me, in my trainings of teaching uh, people how to do this kind of therapy, I spend a lot of time on the clinician and helping the clinicians also understand their parts and why they feel like they need to take away people's 
pain or why they may come into a session feeling like they need to fix somebody or, you know, be the white coat expert, because that's how I came into my profession. I thought that I needed to fix people and that, you know, that was a reflection of me. So I think that's a very, very important thing to always remember as the clinician is that my energy, I'm creating a tensegral organization as you and I talk. You and I are part of a tensegral structure right now in that we're creating this field where my openness is going to allow there to be space for you to also feel open. And there can be some structure around it. And that openness and structure creates safety. If I came into a session where I was very rigid, and I felt like I knew all the answers, and that I needed to prove something to you, your physiology would have a very different experience. And so this whole concept of neuroception, Stephen Porges's work around polyvagal, is very reflected in the physiology. And so the relational attunement is a big part of this work. And the more I can have done my own work, the, the better practitioner I can be with, with people. Going in network with insurance can be tough. It can be confusing to understand the process and frustrating to figure out how it all works. I know because I've been there too. Filling out all the right paperwork is time-consuming and tedious, and even after you're done, it still can take months to get credentialed and start seeing clients. That's why Alma makes it easy and financially rewarding to accept insurance. When you join their insurance program, you can get credentialed within 45 days and access enhanced reimbursement rates with major payers. They also handle all of the paperwork from eligibility checks to claim submissions, and guarantee you payment within two weeks of each appointment. Once you've joined Alma's insurance program, you can see clients in your state of licensure, regardless of where you're working from. This is a great option if you want to travel in your state and don't want to be limited to one city. This makes it so much more accessible for you and your clients. Learn more about building a thriving private practice with Alma at helloalma.com. That's hello, A-L-M-A, com to get started today. I think that's a, a really important point to think about is what we bring to the session as clinicians and our energy and our intentions. And that's one thing I learned. I took um, David Grand's masterclass last weekend. And one of the things that just stuck with me too is what is your intention for this client? So, and he just recommended taking yourself like you just said, it's like we are the universe. I keep hearing the same message, right? I better listen to take ourselves out of the expert role, right? And to be a witness and bear with. Then that's a lot with brain spotting too is just being this neuro experiential process, right? Of attunement too, tuning into the client and being with them and just seeing what comes up and being that presence. Isn't that so powerful? I, I think it's really everything. The longer I practice, the more I believe that the more I can get out of the way, the, the more that the client's restrictions can kind of bubble to the surface and then be witnessed and then uh, be alchemized. So if I keep getting in the way with my belief system that I there's something wrong with you and that I need to fix it, or that you're dysfunctional in some way, or I'm dysfunctional in some way, then uh, it just clouds it. It makes the, the healing process a lot more challenging. Yeah, I imagine so. So how do you work with a mental health therapist? Is there some kind of collaboration that you like to do or how does that work? 
Yeah, well, you know, it's been really fun for me. As I mentioned earlier, in my career, I've just done a lot of dabbling in different disciplines. And as an occupational therapist, we're trained in both mental health and physical health. So I I felt really comfortable kind of coming into the realm of IFS and Hikomi and some other trainings. And what I'm seeing is there's this kind of yearning now with mental health therapists to know more about somatics and know more about the body and how do they bring the body into their sessions. And we're making some really tremendous headway in that area. And then on uh, the other end, I see a lot of physical therapists, massage therapists, occupational therapists recognizing that, wait a second, I got to be bringing in some of these things around belief systems and emotions and how that's carried. So I think for me, I see tensegrity medicine as a bridge that can help uh, both ends of the spectrum, the top down, bottom up kind of experience that we really are kind of creating this third discipline in a way where people who have an interest in doing both mind-body medicine, or I should say just mind-body medicine and whole person medicine, it's it's a way to to be able to do that. Yeah, that, that's a great description of that. I think that's wonderful. So what have you seen are some really amazing benefits from using this? I think the thing that I enjoy the most is helping people feel like they can take control back. You know, control is maybe not the right word. A, a sense of self-agency and their own self-energy back and start to understand that the solutions aren't found outside of themselves. It's not found in a practitioner, a doctor, a, a therapist that people start to understand that they can really pay attention to their own systems and listen in a way that they can befriend themselves and they can take that compassion back into their life experiences relationally within themselves as well as with others and then make different choices that really promote their values and, and their belief systems. So yeah, it's it's beautiful because a lot of times when people come to see a tensegrity medicine practitioner, they think they're coming in for their fibromyalgia or their neck problem, and they leave really understanding themselves in a very different way. And that's incredibly satisfying for me. How would you describe this as different from conventional medicine? Uh, first and foremost, it's not disease-based. So I think that's, and, and it's not, it can be used with disease that's been labeled disease, but it can also be used with individuals who are just interested in, you know, creating, you know, a more rich and lively experience for themselves. So I think the other thing that's very different is in physical rehabilitation, for instance, it's a very reductionistic model of, you know, we're going to treat the low back, you go to this low back specialist, you go to the foot specialist, you go to your cardiologist, you go to your rheumatologist. And for me, how it's very different is that we're looking at the relationships between the anatomy. We're looking at the relationship of how does that left hip affect that right shoulder? How does that carpal tunnel relate to the old injury that you had on your foot? <laughs> and then that really expands out. How does that carpal tunnel relate to your experiences of feeling overwhelmed and undervalued in your work situation? Or how does that relate to you being having a part of you that overdoes and uh, takes on too much responsibility? So I just feel like it's a it's a way to be so much more comprehensive in delivering healthcare and one that's really compassionate and able to help people really connect the dots. 
That's what I was going to say, connected, right? Everything is connected. Because I love how you said, like, you talk about the physical, but then in the mind, it's the same. And I can't remember word for it, but you said something to that effect, right? Because I know you mentioned, like, a foot injury to the shoulder. So you said that on your video, too, on your website about sometimes you work with a part that they're not coming in to see you for, a part of their body. So can you talk more about that? Yeah, it can it can feel pretty unusual if the education isn't there. So sometimes what can happen, I, I believe the physical body is really a mirroring and representing the internal experience. So when an individual is coming in and they're showing tension patterns or asymmetries in their posture, or they're reporting their history of injury or illness, I'm thinking to myself, how is that reflecting the phys- what's happening in the mind? and what's been happening in the emotions, and then the physical experiences that have happened because of those things. So if, you know, we think about like the ACE studies and people who live in chronic stressful conditions and how that can really impact the physiology. And so being able to then look at how, like, let's say, for instance, you've had low back tension, and maybe that low back tension is related to you feeling out of control and not able to manage your circumstances, how that low back tension can then start to change what's happening above it. It can start to change the way that you hold your shoulders. And then therefore, you might um, have a forward head posture. And then the way that you move that way starts to affect how your feet are moving. So we're taking in the medical history, we're taking in the emotional history, the psychological history, and then tracing it back to where the origin of it is. So that might require that I treat your low back, even though you're coming in for your forward head posture and your neck, or you're coming in for your carpal tunnel, because that's really where the root of it is. So I often describe it that we're not taking the dandelion heads off, but instead we're going to the root of the dandelion to find out where this all started to begin with. And if that shifts, then all of the compensation patterns can shift. That makes a lot of sense. So I, I know I noticed on your website too that you offer some trainings. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So I have a during the pandemic I switched. I we used to do in person uh, two year mentorship trainings for OTs, PTs, massage therapists, mental health practitioners, physicians, naturopaths to really understand kind of the way to comprehensively treat it with the ten segregate medicine model. So uh, we go into understanding the ideas of tensegrity, biotensegrity, trauma, the nervous system, uh, the connective tissue system, fascia, light touch techniques, how to test the body, how to do some movement trainings, how to dialogue. And during the pandemic, I just put all of that online, all the content online. So I have a very comprehensive mentorship training that can be taken online. And then I meet with those students once a month via Zoom and people can answer I can answer questions and help them clinically, as well as I have a community group that is an ongoing group of practitioners who are really looking for support in living this way and working this way. I also offer body-mind dialoguing courses. I'll be probably starting one of those in the early 2024 again. And then I do do some in-person retreats and I try to keep it really creative, whatever whatever feels right as far as what's needed and, and what people are asking for. I also do a fair amount of traveling and teaching both nationally and internationally. So any invitations that come my way, I, I definitely 
consider them. So it sounds like this is something that mental health therapists could be trained in if they were wanting to go that way, huh? Very much. Yeah. Because you know what? I, and I know a lot of other therapists that use, I use a lot of somatic practices in my counseling is like I do get a lot of people that have these physical issues. And I'm just, you know, it's like I have one girl, it's like, oh, my shoulders are always heavy. And I'm thinking, man, there's got to be more, you know, like what Kelly does is to, to really help them. Because I can only do like I do some yoga, but there's got to be more that could really help them find healing. That's right. Yeah, I, it's it's a challenge, isn't it, Chris? Because I think my experience has been that when you can combine all of it together versus trying to farm out, you know, like I saw so many people be like, well, I'm going to my massage therapist for this, but I'm going to my counselor for this and I'm going to my exactly. yoga teacher for this. And it's like, but still that's too reductionistic. You know, the, the parts aren't communicating. So not to say that a tensegrity medicine person can solve all problems, but it, it's very helpful to be able to have the movement and the dialogue and the light touch and the relational attunement and the and the training behind that to really understand the complexity of it. I think it's it's exciting. And I and I really see that our professions are really wanting this, right? We really are recognizing the limitations that are currently present. Yeah, and moving more in that direction, which is also wonderful to see. Yeah. So what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Yeah, you mentioned my website. It's kellyclancy.com. And um, yeah, there's I'm always, you know, putting new classes, new offerings up on that site. And there's also Tensegrity Medicine practitioners who are uh, national. You may also find I am doing some trainings now and teaching teachers how to teach Tensegrity Medicine. So that will be something that um, is also uh, coming soon. Exciting. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kelly. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate all that you're doing out there in the world. Thanks. This was great. And that brings us to the end of another episode. And thank you listeners for being here today. Have you been wanting to integrate breathwork into sessions, but are unsure how? Are you needing to earn more continuing education credits? Shifting from traditional talk therapy to using more holistic modalities can bring some feelings of uncertainty and fear. I'm here to tell you that this is within your scope of practice. In my many years of experience and training, I have found breathwork to be one of the most powerful holistic modalities therapists can use with clients. And now I'm offering a recorded training that you can watch on your own schedule so that you too can be prepared to facilitate breathwork with your clients safely, ethically, so that you can help deepen their healing. Join me and earn 1.5 credit hours by NBCC at hcpodcast.org forward slash breathwork course. That's hcpodcast.org forward slash breathwork course. And once again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thanks for listening. The information in this podcast is for general educational purposes only, and it is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are giving legal, financial, counseling, or any other kind of professional advice. If you need a professional, please find the right one for you. The Holistic Counseling Podcast is proudly part of the SiteCraft Network.